A New Year's resolution to lose weight is more important this year than perhaps ever before. Research shows that the pandemic has dramatically increased the rate of obesity nationwide. And scientists in December reported that COVID-19 patients who were overweight or obese were more likely to develop severe COVID-19 and were more likely to die. The United States has the highest rate of obesity in the world. The problem is particularly acute in rural regions, especially in the South and including here in Southwest Virginia. Approximately 35% of Americans are considered obese, while 65% of Americans are considered overweight. Obesity is linked to heart disease and diabetes, as well as many other ailments. The costs of treating Americans with these problems can raise the overall cost of health care in, in the country and have a negative impact on the economy. Today, we are examining the obesity epidemic nationally and in Southwest Virginia with Dr. J.P. Barfield, a professor of exercise science at Emory Henry College and the director of the college's pre-health program. He holds a DA degree from Middle Tennessee University. Much of his research has been related to movement and the role of exercise in people's lives, especially as it relates to disabled people. Welcome to the show, JP. Thank you so much for having me. I want to talk in three parts during this conversation. I want to address the national obesity problem. Then I want to talk more specifically about Southwest Virginia and its problems and then get into discussion of possible solutions. But let's talk about how we in the, in the United States got to this point where we are considered the, the, the most obese country on the planet. Well, there's several factors that contribute. Certainly our lifestyle has changed uh, with the technology that we have. Um, when you look at generations that are growing up now um, and just uh, across different uh, generations, we see physical activity time dramatically declining. And when we look at the way we eat now with our uh, usage of fast food, and our tendency to go out to eat on a regular basis. Uh, the calorie content of food is so much higher now. Our physical activity is so much lower. And so the end product is this tremendous increase um, in weight gain. And um, you see it in children, you see it in adults, uh, but it's problematic across the nation. Well, how, how have we become more sedentary? What are the things that have contributed to us doing less? Because I don't think it was too long ago that we were a fairly active population. Yeah, I think certainly with uh, screen time changing and our dependence on our phones, um, we spend so much time now being sedentary as opposed to doing things outdoors. I think our, um, our focus on safety is also changing how we are active outside, where children used to walk and bike to school. Uh, now that's rarely done. Rarely do you see it anymore, especially in rural regions. Um, and just after school programs, uh, when children have the opportunity to uh, play video games and uh, engage in social media, it's very different than two generations before, uh, where I would come home and I didn't have those options. So children were outside more often. And then when you look at the technology, how it's changed our jobs, um, the, the manual, the percentage of jobs that require manual labor now is just so much smaller in the U.S. than it was um, 30, 40 years ago. So when our daily physical activity is declining and then our leisure physical activity is declining on top of that and the food that we're consuming is so much higher uh, in caloric content um, because fat is good, fat mm -hmm. tastes mm -hmm 
very good. Uh, it's part of all of our meals that we eat out of the home. And so our, our caloric intake has gone up dramatically. Our activity has decreased dramatically. And, and this is the result. I'm wondering if you've been able to do any comparative analysis because the problem doesn't seem to be as big in uh, in other developed areas like Europe. Why is it such a problem in, in this country and not in, say, Great Britain? Yeah, I don't, I wouldn't say it's not a problem in other areas, oddly enough. It's just not as high. The percentages mm-hmm. aren't as high. Um, but I do think uh, our lifestyle, our value system is a little bit different here. Uh, we value the way we go out to eat and the way we spend time with families. The way our jobs, what drives our economy are, are tech jobs, you know, to, to a large extent. Um, and those are sedentary jobs, right? Mm-hmm. When you look at 50 years ago, when we had so many uh, jobs that required manual labor, farming has changed dramatically in the United States. And so that was, once was a huge uh, industry for us in terms of manpower, right, is cut dramatically because of the technology improvements in farming equipment and tractors and things like that. So when you look at large-scale farms these days, you don't see hundreds and hundreds of, of people working for eight hours a day doing manual labor. You see two or three machines mm-hmm. um, replacing those individuals. So our reliance, or I guess the fact that our economy has changed so dramatically to embrace technology, a consequence of that has really changed our daily lifestyle, right? Yes. You mentioned, too, the idea that when we go out to eat, we're eating a lot of fatty foods. Can one become addicted to fatty food? Well, your body certainly has a taste, right, Mm -hmm. for changes in your diet, and you want to continue to feed that and feed that. So that's a natural consequence of your body. Uh, But I would say it's probably more socially driven, Mm -hmm. right, that the United States, even though it may not seem like it in certain parts of rural America, is affluent, Mm -hmm. right? And we spend that excess money as we go out to eat. And you can look at exit seven, right, in Mm -hmm. Bristol. Off I-81. Off I-81 in Bristol, yes. And the number of restaurants that that exit supports, and they're full every evening, right? And that's very different than two generations ago, um, where we had so many meals at home. And so I don't know if it's so much as we need to fill up on a fat (laughs) food, But it is a situation where affluence has become part of our lifestyle, and it's part of our culture. And the reality is, if you're consuming over 1,000 calories at one meal, there's no chance you can maintain your weight Mm -hmm. because you're eating other meals throughout the day. And it is difficult to eat a meal at a fast food or um, dining out for under 1,000 calories. Do people, though, understand the problem that they're facing? I mean, they may be able to deal with the fact that they're overweight, but do they know what it ultimately is doing to their health? No, and I think that's a real problem in our region of the country and in rural regions in general. People don't understand the ramifications of obesity. It is a huge driver of health care costs, and it is a, a, a primary driver of the chronic disease that affects families everywhere, but especially in rural America. It drives certain types of cancers. It drives hypertension. It drives high cholesterol. It drives diabetes, which is a huge problem in this region. So I don't think people make the association or make the correlation or understand the ramifications. 
right? Because you get to a point where when you develop those chronic conditions, they're with you. The majority of those can be with you for life. And then you have to treat those primarily through medication at that point. So many, if not most, most if not all chronic diseases can be prevented through a good diet, a healthy body weight, and physical activity. But the reality is, is once you cross that threshold to having a chronic condition, right, it is very difficult to treat with lifestyle. At that point, we're entirely dependent on the healthcare system. So you're dependent on medication that you're taking to lower your cholesterol or um, to regulate your blood sugar. So it's a real turning point, and I don't think, I don't think enough people understand that obesity is a driver of those chronic conditions. It really is. I'm talking today with J.P. Barfield. He is a professor of exercise science here at Emory Henry College. He's also the director of the college's pre-health program. We are talking about the obesity epidemic in this country. J.P., you talked about the implications for someone's health as it relates to obesity. What about the implications for their personal life and their ability perhaps to get a job? It absolutely affects individuals economically, and there's no way around that. The easiest the easiest concern to examine is how much you're paying for health care, right? Because obesity affects all of us. If, if you are covered individually or you're covered as part of a group, obesity in our country drives those costs. You can't talk about bringing health care costs down and not talk about impacting obesity because mm-hmm. obesity drives those costs. And as a result, right, as an individual, you're paying both the insurer and you're paying the health care provider, Right. So it's a it's a it's a double whammy, essentially. But you are increasing those costs if you're you're living with obesity, if you're overweight. And so I think in terms of real dollars coming out of your pocket, you may not see it if it's taken from your paycheck. But obesity is driving those health care costs in terms of employment. Absolutely. It affects how people perceive you. Right. Whether you uh, are comfortable in your own skin or not. There is no doubt that employers look at a person's competency as associated with their body weight and their and their their typical weight, their image, and and in some jobs it's related to their ability to move, their their absolutely. dexterity, their ability to lift things. Absolutely. So obesity absolutely shortens if you if you have a a, a job that's physically demanding, it shortens your ability to work in years. In years, there's no question about that. It shortens your ability to earn as an individual, as a provider for your family. But it, it is also prohibitive. When we think about job growth, especially in this region, healthcare is one of the top fields in job growth, right? But imagine trying to interview for a healthcare position and you're not able to care for your own health, mm-hmm. right? In terms of maintaining a, a healthy weight, a weight that's associated with reduced disease risk. So the, the, the impact is real. It's, I don't think people see that or have that perspective, but the impact is real. You are paying more out of your own pocket to live with obesity, and you're short- shortening your career earning potential, and you are narrowing your ability to get a position uh, in certain fields. So it's, it's, it has major ramifications that I'm certain people don't understand those links yet. 
JP, we need to go to a break, but when we come back, I do want to explore that topic just a little bit more, but then I want to talk about it more specific to Southwest Virginia. And you're listening to Together to Get There. I am your host, Dirk Moore, and today we are talking about the obesity crisis in the United States and in Southwest Virginia. And I'm joined today by JP Barfield. He is a professor of exercise science at Emory and Henry College and the director of the college's pre-health program. I also want to remind you that you're listening to WHC 90.7, the voice of Southwest Virginia. Support for Together to Get There comes from People Incorporated, one of the largest community action agencies in the country. For 55 years, People Incorporated has helped communities and individuals build good futures and realize their dreams. Welcome back to Together to Get There. We are joined today by J.P. Barfield. He is a professor of exercise science here at Emory Henry College, and he is helping us to understand the obesity crisis in the United States and what that means for Southwest Virginia and what that means to the economy of Southwest Virginia. Uh, J.P., we were talking a little bit about people's understanding of the the problems that they're facing uh, when they are obese or when they are overeating and perhaps their, their inability to understand what the ramifications are there. To what extent is this an offshoot of our value system? To what extent are we not valuing our own selves and our own communities when we're not considering the implications for obesity. Yeah, I think one of the the factors that's that's really a good thing in the United States, but that contributes to individual increases uh, in in overweight, is our reliance on a a good value and a good deal. And so stores, industries have responded by giving us more for less. And when we look at that in terms of food, when you go to a convenience store now, no longer do you have to get a 12-ounce can of soda, right? The minimum, the lowest size is now 20 ounces or 24 ounces. And then the better deal is getting a a fountain drink that's 32 ounces or 48 ounces. When we look at going out to eat, who doesn't love a buffet? Right. That's a great value. And that's something I think Americans value and and understandably so. But in terms of what it does to our uh, body composition and body weight over time, instead of consuming 100 calories or 150 calories, maybe from a, a, a can drink. Now you're consuming 250 calories with a 20-ounce size, or you're 300 or 350 calories uh, when you go through the drive-through and get the get the drink and then a refill. So our dependence, or maybe our appreciation of the value, uh, has really changed how we purchase food, how we consume food. And I want you to think about it like this, Dirk. If you miss the the American diet is 2,000 calories, right, for intake. So for women, it's it's under that let's say 17, 1800 calories for men, it might be 22, 23. But if you miss your daily calorie expenditure by just 100 calories a day, 
right? In a year, you're going to be up 10 pounds. Mm -hmm. And so that means in five years, you're going to be up 50 pounds, right? In just five years, okay? So it is a massive acceleration by just missing by 100 calories a day. And let me, let me give you some thoughts on what 100 calories is. That's a half a candy bar, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a, it's a tiny portion that you have to miss by each day to really accelerate all the health problems that you experience from obesity. So it's, it's little changes in diet that are meaningful, but I think are hard to make because people do value the good deal, the good value, right? And we especially see that in our food. When people go into buffets or they get something on the way to work, right? They supersize it. And it's just, it's a treat for ourselves, but the calorie content in those treats is, it's expensive long-term. Is that value playing out more so in Southwest Virginia and other rural regions of this country, do you think? Do we value a good value more here than perhaps in other regions? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because our resources are less, right? We want to make sure our our dollar goes goes farther, okay? or further. And so the reality is that if we see a good deal, especially in terms of food, we take advantage of that deal. Healthy food is more expensive. It's just that simple. And it is, it's much more affordable for families to buy high calorie food, less nutrient dense food. And what that means, less nutrient dense is think about when you drink a soda, you might have a soda and then 15 minutes later, well, you could eat again, right? Because it's not filling. That's very different from higher quality foods that cost more. So it's it's I don't want to I don't want to use the term burden, but it is a it's a real problem in Southwest Virginia because we have to as families and communities we have to buy food that is cheaper, mm-hmm. right? And that includes when we go out and that includes when we go to convenience stores. So we are not stuck, but it it is it is difficult for a family to purchase high quality food on a regular basis. I understand that, but there still seems to be a bit of an irony in the idea that a rural region would suffer from obesity. I mean, there are people who garden here. There's access to the outdoors. So it seems like there should be a built-in way to avoid this problem, yet we have it bigger than others. Yeah, and I think part of that is just awareness of the issue, being educated about the issue, understanding the links between obesity and how it affects us individually and how it affects our community economically. There's just not that awareness in rural areas uh, as there are in more urban areas, and it's it's an issue because it I completely understand the irony, um, but that's reality, and that's not just Southwest Virginia, but it is it is true in Southwest Virginia. Well, then I want to talk about solutions. But Mm -hmm. first, I want to remind our listeners that we are talking today with Dr. J.P. Barfield. He is a professor of exercise science at Emory Henry College and the director of the college's pre-health program. And we're talking about the obesity epidemic. You are listening to Together to Get There. And I am your host, Dirk Moore. This is the show dedicated to economic and community development in Southwest Virginia. And you are listening to WHC 90.7, your college and community radio station. JP, how do we change things first on a national level, perhaps, to, to move in the other direction? On a national level, policy is typically the first recommendation that comes up, right, in terms of what schools should be mandating in terms of physical activity. What should we be requiring for our, our firemen, our policemen, uh, men and women, uh, our military, right? What standards should we have in place that have to be met? Uh, the standards, the fitness test standards have gotten more lax, and that's for military and, and law enforcement 
uh, collectively across the nation um, because individuals are, are 18, 19 years old, obesity rates have tripled in youth, right? Mm-hmm. And so we have less fit individuals, less people who are qualified to fill these individuals. So when you look at the national level, policy in terms of what restaurants, and I, again, I'm not, I'm not trying to say what, what government should or shouldn't do, but what we allow to occur, mm-hmm. right, um, has to change from different policies. This is actually a difficult discussion for me to have because in some ways it sounds like whenever you embark on this discussion, you can't help but feel the sense that you're being critical of people who are suffering from obesity or who who are overweight. So when you're talking about solutions, it almost feels like you have to try very hard not to point a finger at people and you don't want to point a finger Absolutely at people. Absolutely not. But how do you address this problem with on the individual level so that people can understand the implications of overeating on their own health. I think at an individual level, it's it's there. There are multiple avenues that we can choose. Number one, uh, making sure that we provide um, social support uh, for individuals who want to make healthier lifestyle decisions. Uh, when you think about the way we eat, sometimes we make meals based on the way our families did before us, right? And we may not understand the amount of cholesterol and the amount of fat in in the gravy and biscuits that I love and in the uh, fried eggs that, of course, are fantastic. So um, being able to provide social support, people who are aware of the need to live a healthy lifestyle, um, so that we are engaging together in terms of physical activity, diet planning, meal planning, uh, you need somebody who is going to be an advocate and a supporter, right? Mm-hmm. And so we can provide that social support through uh, wellness coaches at hospitals, um, through wellness coaches in the community, through our uh, programmers that we have in parks and recreation departments and uh, our fitness facilities. But we can also provide that through churches. There's a huge push to encourage increased physical activity and healthier eating Uh, through churches because that's where people socialize, Mm -hmm. right? That's Mm -hmm. where you have support. And so I think that has a lot of of potential, a lot of legs, but I do think we need to um, embrace in our local community how we can collectively live healthy. Well, I wonder if the schools can play a larger role. It seems like when I was a kid, we had recesses three times a day. We never had time to eat because Mm -hmm. we were so physically active. You are a health exercise professional. Have you given some thought to how secondary and elementary schools should be doing more to make children more active during the day? Yes, and there are a lot of interventions at the school level that are very successful. So um, Tennessee, for instance, they've enacted, um, this was maybe 15 years ago, but they have a, um, a weekly physical activity requirement, which is a, which is a great idea um, because you don't necessarily have to exercise for uh, a lot of time every day to help with weight maintenance, but just integrating three minutes at the beginning of class, three minutes at the end of class for every class, right, makes a big difference over the course of a week. Um, So I think that model uh, is successful. They have a coordinated health coordinator um, that's part of the school system to help schools develop programs that are going to work for them. I do know that adding new interventions at the school level is a a tremendous challenge because there are so many requirements on K-12 these days, especially Mm -hmm. academically speaking. And so typically what we see, the, the programs that go first are physical education and recess. 
right? And so when we think about combating um, obesity, one of those one of those strategies is to increase physical activity. So I, I, I do feel like schools see themselves as tapped out and maxed out in terms of what they can do. Um, however, we're seeing great interventions before school, after school programming, where organizations similar to CrossFit or um, Parks and Recreation will come and will do 30 minutes um, of activity before school for those bus riders that arrive and they're just they're waiting for classes to start. So I do think there are absolute, um, absolutely, I think there are avenues where we can make interventions. And I think it is imperative that we have good partnerships uh, with our schools and those programs that are already providing physical activity opportunities for other individuals. One last question then for Southwest Virginia. Among those prescriptions that you have listed from policy to parents to schools to churches in Southwest Virginia, which of those should be the priority? I would say I think the biggest impact will will occur through churches. I really do, because I think the amount of people who socialize and are educated about their community um, in our region occurs through churches. I think schools um, here are proactive and I think um, are trying to be excellent advocates to their students. And so I do think with the with the health care shift with Ballad coming on, with Emory and Henry developing uh, the School of Health Sciences. I do think what you're going to see over the next five years here are much more partnerships focused on community intervention, not only at the school level, but at the business level as well. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's, I think we're at a time where there are some true resources uh, in terms of knowledge base, in terms of programming, where you're going to see much more, many more partnerships between healthcare organizations, schools, and communities. So I think, I think over the next five to ten years, you're going to see a real growth in that area. We've been talking to J.P. Barfield. He is a professor of exercise science at Emory & Henry College and the director of the college's pre-health program. We're talking about the obesity epidemic. Thank you, J.P., for joining me here today, and thank you for all the work that you're doing in this area. Yeah, thank you so much. You've been listening to Together to Get There, the show dedicated to economic and community development in Southwest Virginia. I am your host, Dirk Moore. Thank you for listening.